I'm on. There we go. All right. Hey, I have a chance. I have the opportunity to share uh, my story with you, right? We're in the midst of the sermon series storytelling, and each of the speakers thus far has shared their story, so you get to hear uh, my story. Um, I was fortunate enough to be born into a, a loving Christian family, um, my parents and, and grandparents. Um, something profound, profound happened right around my age of about two. My dad, um, at the age of uh, my being two, his not being two, um, he, he and my mom bought two uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken franchises stores in San Jose. Um, and having those stores meant it had all of their time. Up until age 10, they worked all the time. I never saw my, I don't recall seeing too much of my dad. My mom would work Monday through Fridays and a lot of Saturdays. And um, during the elementary years, my brother and I would come home from school to other people's houses. We didn't have a key. My mom would work until 7 o'clock at night. We would go to someone else's house pretty much all of my elementary years um, for them to take care of us until my mom would get home. And she would grab us at 7 and come home and pour as much love as she could into for about an hour and then tuck us into bed. And then that was, that was my story. And during those years, then, it started to build within inside of me um, a lot of questions, but just this feeling of abandonment and, and not being loved because I'm like, where is my family? And then when I was at age 10, um, my, my dad had a, a huge revelation. He knew that if he kept doing this, um, it was going to kill him, either physically because he was working so much and he was eating a lot of the company profits, which aren't the healthiest. Um, but he worked all the time. Like their marriage was starting to have some issues. Um, whatever he had with his kids who were getting older, he didn't have. Um, and he realized that, hey, th- this is not worth it. And so he sold those. And then in so doing that, he had money set aside from that, but it took him years to find that other job that would keep going. He tried several things and didn't work, um, which then led into my teenage years and produced one um, very rebellious and angry kid. And, and during that time, I, I, I followed the Lord. I knew the Lord, and I grew up with him. And, and there were a couple things that happened in my high school years. One was um, my friends became my family. And then I had some friends that stabbed me in the back in a way that I'm like, you don't do that to your friends. And so even that then left me alone. And then the one relative I did feel I had a connection with, my grandmother died of cancer um, right after my senior year. Um, and that was probably the last straw for this young man of, with bitterness and anger and I remember one, one day, uh, driving, I knew exactly where I was. It was late at night, and I was um, having a, a prayer conversation with God. And in that, I told him basically he could take a hike. I said it in more colorful language. Um, but I basically just said, hey, I, I'm, I'm done with you. And then during that next three or four years, something happened. Where I started to date this gal who wasn't a Christian. Not only was she not a Christian, she was Hindu. But I knew what I was doing was wrong. My parents kept reminding me of that fact. Um, but after about three years of dating, I, I got to the point where, like, I knew, like, something had to happen. Like, you had to be either fish or cut bait, right? Like, either this thing's going to progress or somehow it's just going to dissolve. 
And right about that same time, there was a time period where it seemed like for months, every time I would go to bed, there would just be this pounding on my heart that was God saying, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. And I didn't. Um, I started to drink a lot so at night, so I couldn't hear him. I started to take um, sleeping pills so that when I got to bed, I wouldn't hear him. And then there was a Sunday where I was living in my parents' house, and there was a knock on my bedroom door in the morning, and my mom's like, hey, you know, my car won't start. Will you take me to church? I hadn't been to church other outside of Christmas or Easter for three years. So, hey, you know, you let me live here, so I'll go. And I'm like, yeah, you know, they just bought, built a new sanctuary, whatever. I'll see the new place, right? And so I come in and sit down, and the team gets up there and sings and, and time of worship. Then the, the pastor got up there to preach, and he preached on 2 Corinthians chapter 6 about being unequally yoked, the one thing that was keeping me from God because I, I couldn't let go of this relationship. But I thought, how, how ironic is that, right? I'm like, nah, you know what? This is probably something that they talk about all the time. So I didn't think too much of it. Until about two months later, that uh, one of my friends said, hey, I know you go to this church. I want to check out their singles group. You're my friend, right? It's a loyal guy that I am. Come with me. So I'm in there, different building at the church, different pastor on his own sermon series, whatever. Time of worship, he gets up there to preach and um, starts to preach on 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I thought, well, obviously, right, in the, in the singles group, they got to talk about this all the time. So, but then I'm like, you know what, my buddy, you know what, this group's too old for me. Like about two months later, I said, let's go check out the college group. Different pastor, another random Sunday, opens up the Bible. The one thing is keep me from God, Second Corinthians chapter 6. And I remember sitting back there going, wow, I know like three strikes and you're out. I'm a big baseball fan. I'm like, how— Okay, God, I hear you, but can I make a deal with you? He said, all right, what is it? I said, I will break up with that relationship, and I'll rededicate my life to you, but you have to do one thing for me. You have to show up in my life and be with me like never before. And he said, I'll do that. And so I I was faithful on my end and broke things off, and in 89, rededicated my life to him. And he has been with me profoundly since that day. I shared this story in an inner circle setting last night around a table. And I've shared it before with people who are much smarter than me. And I think about that. I'm like, how do you even calculate the probability of random Sundays in any way you can slice or dice the Bible to preach for the one thing I had to hear? And that was God. Right, so we're in this series called Storytelling, right? And um, you heard my story. And I I was was thinking over the last couple weeks when I knew I had this date before me, I kept thinking, like, well, what what is the story, God, or your part of your story, or how do you want me to to portray that? Like, how do you want me to tell that? And as I had worked on my part of of my story, there was one word that, that you will see come through from the beginning to the end, is the word with. That in, in my struggle, I, I had a struggle of being with God and with my family and where are you and where, why, and all those things. And this idea of with was part of what I struggled through. And then as I used that and I looked over the, the whole of the Bible, that word just kept resonating with me in my study time. And so we're going to actually look from beginning to end in 30 minutes, from Genesis to Revelation, We're going to look through the story of God through the lens of the focus of with. 
with. Now, I'm assuming that many of you in this room, or most of you, if not all of you, have homework to do. Go home and read Genesis, the first book of the Bible, page one, first three chapters, or four, or five, through six or nine. I'm skipping a lot today, right? So you have some reading to do, right? But, but where we start, we start in the garden. We start with, with, with man that, that has been created in the image of God and for God. And we see this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he formed in it. And then later we see in verse 15, it says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. Right? So before sin came in, this is the condition. God with man, in one purpose, working together, giving responsibility, in this perfect situation. And then, of course, because I have you read all the rest of this, right? But that's some, right? there's a point when, when God realizes that man needs a woman, right? So he puts him to sleep, does a little surgery, takes out, you know, a rib and creates woman out of man. And that first wedding service takes place, right? That the man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. And they become one, right? And, and, and he sees his bride. He's like, oh, this is bone on my bone, flesh on my flesh. Wow. That's Adam. Right? But and you have that. And in the midst of that, right, there's some time that they're living before sin. And I don't know how long that is. Um, but in that, God had said, hey, by the way, here's the one rule, right? One, do not eat from this one tree. Otherwise, the consequences are severe, right? All this is yours, right? God brought the, the animals to Adam and he named them, right? They're working in harmony. It's just one thing, like you have all this one thing. Surely, if you do that, you're in big trouble, and then one day, it just looked so tempting. And then there was somebody there that was saying, yeah, you can have that. And they ate. And then that with was horrifically broken. Broken from that one thing. And then after that, it, it seems like it might be the next day, but it says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And I wonder up until that point, like I just imagine them walking day by day with God, maybe the, the best cup of coffee ever, ever, just walking through the garden with God. And then this one day, he shows up for their walk with coffee, and they're not there at the corner. They're not there by the lamp, by whatever. They, they would meet and go for a while every day in the cool of the morning. Where are you? Hey, you guys, where are you? He knew. They hid. God knew right away what happened. He's like, ah, told him not to do that. But where are you? I think about that phrase and that call just, just, it not only for Adam and Eve, is it really for all of humanity. Humanity, where are you? People made in my image, where are you? It's that initial first question of God or his first words are words of, 
I feel that broken pain because we're not connected like we were. Where are you? Right? And they were hiding, right? And then they have a conversation. Right? The, in the Bible, if you're reading it, if there's a heading, it says the curses, right? So there's the serpent, a.k.a. Satan. There's the man, the woman. And God just like, okay, as a, as a result of this, here's your punishments, right? And talks about these curses. But even from day one, those first moments, however long this was in that time, there was hope. When God cursing the serpent, cursing Satan, said this, there will be a day when you, you strike the heel of one, and he will crush your head. You might wound him, but he is utterly going to defeat you as a result of this. And that day will come, mark my word. And then he has words for the man and the woman about how difficult life's going to be and how broken their relationship's going to bring until this is all done with. With was broken long ago in the garden. And, and I think about this next verse, right? As afterwards, it says, The Lord God made garments of sin for Adam and, and his wife, and he clothed them. Right? Even in the midst of their mistake, God was still showing his heart of compassion to cover them. Then the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim, angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way back to the tree of life. That with was horrifically broken, and there was no going back. And sometimes I think about this scripture. I think about that in, life, in light of my own story. There were many times... That, that I would come home from elementary school to someone else's house and feel that despair. I had no room of my own to go to. My toys weren't their toys. It wasn't my cupboard. It wasn't whatever. And I would come to my porch, and I would sit down on the porch and just cry because I didn't understand where my parents were. And I was beginning to feel the brokenness of this with in my own circumstance. And I would have to wait until 7 o'clock or so when my mom would get home and bring us in and cram an hour of love. And then go to bed. And then get up again and do it the very next day. And so when I, when I read this scripture, I, I think about that. And I wonder if Adam and, and Eve ever just kind of wondered, like, if they got as close as they could get to where it used to be and just kind of stand, like, ah. Uh, do you remember when we had our own room? Do you remember when we walked in a cool of the day with God? Do you remember that with? And then they would go back to the hard work that they had to do. Now I'm going to skip a ton of the story. But of course, you'll go home and read it. All the way till Exodus. But as I think about that, all those people I'm skipping over, God was with them. Right? You had Adam and Eve, right? And then you had Cain and Abel and brokenness from day one. Then you have the third son, Seth, who had a, a lineage of, of children who seemed to be closer to God than Cain's children. And there was one in there by the name of Enoch. 
He said, Enoch lived a number of years, and he had Methuselah. And he said this. It said, and he walked with God. All the other people in the lineage said they lived X number of years and died. But Enoch walked with God. And then one day, he was no more because God took him home. Like, I just picture, like, there, and I don't know how he had in him to respond back to God differently from other people, but it says he was walking with God. He lived his life with God. And it had to be the, the initiation of God. And then just this one day, they're walking down the street, and I just picture God's like, hey, we're closer to my house than yours. You want to just come home with me? Oh, yeah. And boom, they're gone. Right? In, in, in Hebrews, it says that Enoch didn't taste death. He was no more because he walked with God. With. Right? Then, as you know, Noah. At the time of Noah, right, God shows back up or he kind of looks down. And he's like, all these people running amok. Evil from the very moment they get up to the time they go to their, every thought is wicked. Oh, my God. Huh. Noah. What are you doing down there? Somehow Noah. Responding in faith. Same knowledge, same revelation to God. Maybe the story's passed down, but one person saying, I will I'll walk with you. And he takes that one family, right, and puts them in a boat and kind of presses the reset button. And then Abraham shows up to Abraham in unique ways with him and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And now we are in Egypt, forgotten about, slaves, Where's our helper? No one's with us. Until this kid named Moses floated in a boat down the river, found by the princess, brought in, and then tries to do it his own, and he's run out of town, and now he's out there just tending sheep. But one day, God comes to be with him. A burning bush that does not consume. What is this strange thing? And he comes closer. Take off your shoes. Okay. Who are you? I am who I am. Sounds like a riddle. I'll show you who I am. And God, in a unique way, is with Moses for a specific task. And then we find that in Exodus 33. And right before this, amazing. Go to it before. You got to read. You have a lot of homework this week. Right before this, right? It talks about this tent. Moses would go outside the camp and pitch a tent. And the glory of God would come down and they would have conversation like face to face. And God was with Moses. And his aide, his aide Joshua just stay in the tent with him. But Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people who, quite frankly, are a pain in the neck. But you've not told me who you will send with me. You said, I know you by name and I have found favor with you. But if you're pleased with me, then teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And remember, this nation is yours, not mine. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. For how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and that and with these people, unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and all these people? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. Why? Because I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. I'm with you. I'm pleased with you. 
That's the unconditional grace that Laura talked about last week in that word hesed. It's the loyal love of God that continues to come after us even though we blow it. And here he's saying this, I I will be with you. I'll be with you. They'll know who I am through what happens here because I am with you. And I know you by name. I know you intimately. I know you inside and out. I know the mess-ups that you have. I know the things in your mind, in your heart that aren't of me, but I know how you come back to me. I know you. And knowing you, I still love you. I am with you. That's, that's the conversation that's going on here is this power of with. And then Moses is faithful, faithful to his task, and he hands the baton to Joshua. And God comes back and says almost the same exact thing to Joshua in a different setting. The same way I was with Moses, I will be with you as you lead these people. Be strong and courageous, and you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their ancestors, and I'm faithful to my promise. And have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Yes, there are difficult circumstances you will have to battle. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go with. We broke it and God is fixing it. He still comes after and initiates with a relationship that we don't deserve. And he did that with these key characters of his story. And he also did it with a a man by the name of David who would become king. It says this in the psalm, Psalm 27. You've always been right there for me. Don't turn your back on me now. Don't throw me out. Don't abandon me. You've always kept the door open. My father and mother have walked out on me, but you've always taken me in. Now, I don't know the circumstances of David's life with that. I don't know what the situation was with his parents or what would have him to say that. I do know, right, when Samuel came looking for king, the king of Jesse's family, he went through all the sons until he's like... Yeah, it's none of these. You don't have any more, right? And Jesse's like, well, I got the kid. I got the kid in the, in the in, you know, out there caring for the sheep. Him? All right, we're not going to sit down to eat until I see this guy. He comes in and he's like, this is the dude. Really? The punk. And I don't know what the, what the seal deal was with that, but I've always thought of this scripture, and of course, and I like it in the, in the, in the translation of the message. But though my parents... Abandon me. You take me in. Whatever the circumstances of our family relationships, as best the parents as we have, and I did have good parents. I, I later came around the table to own my junk with my parents to then hear my dad's story that then just let me say, wow, I can, if only I knew as a 10-year-old, but it wouldn't have made sense. But God, God is faithful. And now we fast forward to what we call the New Testament, right? But before we get there, God kept coming time and time again. He kept reminding them, I will be with you, I'll be with you, I'll be with you. The prophets, Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, if you seek me with all your heart, I will be found. And I know the plans I have for you. Plans of hope and a future. I have plans for you. But seek me. Find me. Isaiah says, There will be a day 
when there will be a virgin who will give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel, because it will mean God with us. There will be that day. And then lo and behold, these angels show up after an incredible amount of time of silence. Is God with us? And the stirring of God happens, and he comes to this young couple of Joseph and Mary, and he sends this incredible text. Hey, look, you're going to have a baby. Here's his name, and this is what it means. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. He'll be with you. In fact, his nickname will be literally God with his people. And he came. He came. That's how Matthew includes it in his story, right? As Matthew's writing his story, and he's writing the story in the intersection, this is what he starts with, that God is faithful to his promise to be with his people. John would say it this way in his testimony, in his storytelling. In chapter 1, the Word, the Word, the the utterance of God, the, the intensity of who God is, the Word of God became flesh. God in the flesh, God incarnate, and dwelt among us. And now we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So there was all these decades and and millennium of just years and years of him revealing himself through times and through miracles. And then one day he said, I'm going to show up, and he did. But it's interesting. He showed up, and his own people who should have been ready for him, they're like, eh, we don't want you. He came to that which was his own, but they rejected him. But then he came to people who respond in faith, which is what it always took. Yet to those who did receive him, to those who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Right? Go back two weeks ago to Jeff's sermon, right? The the most incredible adoption story ever. That's what's taking place. Because if we believe him and put our faith in him, then we are with him and he is with us. And that's what John is saying here. And not only that, but when Jesus came, he came as God in the flesh. He said, I've been telling you and showing you what grace and truth is, but now I'm the very embodiment of it. And you will see what I do with my body shortly at the end of my life. But I'm with you. I'm keeping true to my promise and my word. He came to be with us to reveal the truth of God, and he came to be with us to restore our relationship with God. And then we fast forward through his story to to the end, those last couple of days. And then Matthew says this, then Jesus came to them. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples out of all nations, every tongue, tribe, color, creed, whatever. Go to them. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And then John, in that same time frame, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared some some personal... uh, Secrets. He, he let his, his closest friends in on some things that are profound. 
He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me. And that where I am, you also will be. And you know the way that I'm going. Right? And and do you remember the backdrop of this scene, this conversation? This is the night when his friends are going to ditch him like nobody's business. But before that, he's reminding them, like, this is going to take place. I'll be with you. And you don't understand it, but you will. And then John records these words later on in that, in that chapter. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Right? He had been explaining how he was going to die, and then three days later be rose, risen again, and they didn't understand it, and he's, he's trying to explain it to them, but he's giving them these promises that you won't understand what's going on. You will eventually, but I will be with you through the whole process. But yet they ditched him. But yet this promise, I will not, I will not, I absolutely won't leave you as orphans. It may seem like it, but I won't. I'll come to you. I'll come to you. I'll be with you. And then he gives this promise. Because he knows the cross is just a few hours away. And there will be some separation, but he gives a promise that very truly I tell you, it is good. It's for your good that I'm going away, because if I don't go away, the advocate, the advocate will not come unless I go, and I will send him to you, the advocate, the one who pleads your case, the one who stands with you. This is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to go, but the very Spirit of God is going to come to you and be with you. But he can't come until I go. It's part of the process you don't understand yet, but you will. Some time later, the Apostle Paul would put it this way in writing his love letter to the Ephesians, his story and the story of God. It says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth and the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, right, our response to God being with us, our response to the initiation of God coming after us is faith. When you believed, when you had faith, You are marked with the Holy Spirit who resides in you. This promised Holy Spirit, a a seal, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance because we're the children of God. And we're waiting until the redemption of those who are his possession to the praise of his glory. Right? Paul's writing the words of God here. It's like, And and the Spirit will be with you in a profound way, never leaving you until that day when everything is done. You will not be alone with. And I know there's been many times in my life since those years of high school when I was struggling, my sophomore year, I think I've told that before, completely alone. All my friends left because they decided to go after a life of drugs. And I said, no. And these kids I grew up with for 16 years, like that, gone. 
alone. Right? Until I was ripe for that day when I kind of had that last straw with the loss of my grandmother. And I'm like, this, this doesn't feel very with. But God was faithful and he came back like he said he would. And the reality is he never left me. I left him. But he kept coming after me in profound ways, in subtle ways, in persistent ways. And I was rebellious until that one day I knew, like, if I don't, if I don't say I do all over again now, like, I don't know what's going to be done. But alone, there's still times in my life to this day, these last couple years, this last time, there's still times when I struggle with being alone. But God reminds me each and every time, I'm still with you. The countless hours I spend running out in those mountains of training, most of the time I have that cognitive awareness. I am with God, and God is with me. And we talk, and we worship. Some are worship songs, and some are Van Halen and Sammy Hagar stuff, but we find a way to redeem those things, right? Because we're the people of redemption. But there's profound time spent out there because they know He is with me. And it might not be the same walk in the garden like he did with Adam and Eve, but I'll tell you, I found some incredible gardens that I'm like, wow. If this is what it looks like in a ruined state, can you imagine what it was in a perfect state? But God is with until what we're still waiting for. Now we've caught up to these people in the story. Actually, they've caught up to us. We're waiting for this revelation. Because there is a time Jesus said, I will come back. He is coming back. And there will be a day this day right now is still called the day of salvation. It's one long day. But there's going to be a day when that day ends and the offer of salvation is done and people who have not responded in faith will be done. And they will never experience the with that God had for them. But the people of God, the people who have responded in faith, we will have a with like we've never experienced ever. And this is the promise here. He says, and and John's writing this down, right? And I heard a loud voice from the throne, the throne of God, saying this, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, praise God, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is sitting on the throne said, Look, behold, I'm making everything new. And I'll be with you like never before forever. And my words are true and faithful. And this is the hope that we're holding out to because this day is coming sometime. We don't know when, but it is certain. Because God keeps his promises. For those who are responding to his call and have placed their faith in him, will be with him in, the, in a unique way now but incredibly unique later. Those who have rejected his response and his call will never know that with. Forever. Broken and left in that state without God. And so as I, I made my way in my preparations and praying through that, this sermon um, all through the week and, and out in my running that I did and spending quiet time with God, um, I was good with this sermon. And then one mile and one hill and Friday, God said, hey, we're not done. 
and in that prayer time in uh, actually it was yesterday on Saturday it's just like I'm gonna flip the script yes I am with you but there's a bigger call not a bigger call there's a there's a second call a different element to it that, that actually it's not God with Tim it's Tim with God because at one point Jesus came and he said follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and you follow me you will be with me forever all those things I just said are true but it's different. It's not, it's not about Tim. It's about God because it's his story. And he says, follow me. The same way I think he said it maybe in a unique way to Moses. Hey, we've got some work to do. Are you the man? He tried to get out of it, right? He's like, all right, I'll, I'm with you though. Okay, let's go. Joshua, let's go. The prophets, let's go. David, let's go. Solomon, sort of. The rest of them, uh, kind of. Um, and then he showed up. He said, I, I will be with you, but you see, my father, Jesus said, he works day and night. And while the father is at work, so am I. And if we're in the family, then if the father's at work and the son's at work, so are the children. He says, follow me. You see, people still need to know this message of with, because they don't know. You see, last night, um, my wife and I... Um, who is much better than that person I was dating before. I just make sure she knows that, right? I'm just kidding. But we're at this dinner party last night. And I kept alluding to, hey, I, you know, I got to be up early in the morning to go give this talk. And people were like, talk? I said, like, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, well, I got to, um, you know, I got to preach a sermon. And, oh, what are you going to talk about? Huh? Well, someone, I think someone said that. What are you going to talk about? I'm like, well, since you asked, <laughs> take another bite. And I had a chance to share my story around this table of my inner circle. People I'm building a bridge to. I'm like, did they fully get it? I don't know. Could they do the math problem still that I can't figure out? No. One of them's an engineer. I'm like, good luck with that math problem. Um, and he's now in a finance situation, right? He's a finance consultant. But God is with us. He calls us to reach in our inner circles in unique ways. The ways we're wired, quirks and all. And God knows I have a lot of them. But he said, I'll be with you. And if you're willing, would you come with me and be about my father's business? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that somehow you saw fit to put your call out to my life and I was able to respond <laughs> And you know we've had our hiccups, but you're faithful even when I'm not. And God, we know that you are patient. Peter writes in his story that God is patient, not coming back yet, because he's wanting not anybody to perish, but everyone to come to eternal life. That's why he hasn't come back yet. But we do know there will be a day when enough is enough. For you cannot stand with sin. But yet the door open to this day for people to respond. God, I pray that if there are people in this room who have not responded, I, I, I pray that they would. That this would be the day of salvation. And God, I thank you for with those dark nights of the soul that we feel so alone. You're with us. And then those highs of highs those moments of just the greatest days of our life, you're celebrating with us and everything in between. I thank you because you're with us. Amen.